Busy Birds. Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Ganal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Our guest today is a zero-waste, plastic-free and sustainability educator, advisor and public speaker. She's the founder of Treading My Own Path, a successful online platform where she's been sharing her personal journey to her zero-waste lifestyle. She is also the author of two books, Crazy Birds. Without any further ado, I would like to welcome Lindsay Miles. Hello. Thank you for having me. (laughs) You're most welcome. So how did your sustainable journey actually start? So... I was thinking about this. So when I was a kid, like, you're going to get the long story now. So I remember when I was a kid, like, recycling, my parents did a village in the UK, and recycling just came in. And I remember, like, they'd throw all of the glass and the tins and the paper into the bin, and I'd be fishing it all out and being like, no, 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 you've got to recycle, you've got to recycle. And I guess that was kind of my first memory of kind of being conscious about the environment. But then I guess from there, you know, the recycling thing kind of stuck. And I guess as I kind of got into my 20s and stuff, I, I kind of thought that sustainability was buying things that said eco-friendly or things that looked eco-friendly, you know, things that looked a bit rustic and maybe like were made of brown paper. I was like, oh, yeah, that's kind of eco-friendly. I guess I didn't really have any understanding of the systems and kind of I was definitely plugged into that sort of treadmill of consuming stuff. And then I guess it kind of got to like the start of my 30s and I came across this challenge called Plastic Free July and I was wondering something about you know was there anything more I could be doing and I wasn't really quite sure and I'd actually just started a master's doing um, development management and environmental decision making and studied environmental ethics but it was very kind of study and learning about you know the history and what all these things meant. So then I moved to Australia in 2011 and 2012 I saw this poster in the library and it said um, could you give up plastic for a month? And I thought, you know, yeah, of course I could. Like, I'm, I'm super sustainable already. You know, I'm great at recycling. Recycling bins full. Like, how hard could it be? And kind of went home and, you know, had the epiphany that everything is made of plastic. Like, my fridge was full of plastic. My bathroom was full of plastic. Everything I kind of owned was made of plastic. And I guess I just had this real kind of sense of, oh, I don't know, I guess I, guess I felt really embarrassed because, you know, I really thought I was some kind of, like, sustainability superhero because I recycled and I kind of just hadn't thought about what else I could be doing. And, you know, now I'm looking in my fridge and I'm looking in my bathroom and I'm looking in my pantry and I'm thinking, well, I don't have to buy carrots in a plastic bag and I don't have to buy olive oil in a plastic bottle and I could try and find shampoo that's not enough, you know, and that sort of thing. But, yeah, and I guess well, I guess the, the thing when I'm looking in my fridge and I'm looking in my pantry was probably really that, I guess I felt really determined. A part of that's because I hate being wrong, like really hate being wrong. And I thought this challenge was going to be easy. And now I saw all this plastic and I'm like, well, I've got to do something about it because I don't want to be wrong. But also, like when you break it down, you know, plastic free living sounds really hard, but buying carrots without a plastic bag doesn't sound that hard. Or 
buying apples without a plastic bag doesn't sound that hard. And, you know, when you break it down and you look at it, you go, well, maybe maybe plastic-free, I can't go plastic-free, but I could just buy my apples, really, so I could just kind of buy bread, not in a plastic bag. And so that was kind of how it started. And I guess from there I just had this real, like, realisation that, you know, sustainability is about the way we live and the things that we do and the choices that we make rather than kind of studying and understanding, like, the concepts. Like, that's what's important. But I guess for me, like, I really felt empowered I guess to be actually doing something even if that something was like not putting stuff in the landfill bin or the recycling bin and I think that's the kind of reinforcing thing about waste I always think this is that when you don't put something in the recycling bin or you don't put something in the landfill bin like you notice it you know but when you turn the lights off because you're you know trying to reduce global warming you don't you don't turn the light off and suddenly the room cools down and you're like oh that's better but with waste you really see your progress and I think that was kind of what really got me started and made me realize that I was having a difference because I could see it and understand it. And I guess that was kind of how I got into it, really. Wow, that's some journey. And I mean, with Plastic Free July, because we had Rebecca on the podcast as well. And I'll definitely link that up for all of our crazy birds if they just want to go back to that episode as well. And I mean, Plastic Free July is coming up again. And this year, it's their 10-year anniversary and I'm just amazed at how many people's journey actually started from just going that one month without some certain plastic items and giving that up. And then how that's kind of led to either zero waste lifestyle, a complete plastic free lifestyle. So that's really phenomenal. And it's great to see that that was also a drive behind you. And then that brings me to the next thing, and that is your blog that you started. So it's called Treading My Own Path. Yeah, how how did that start? So I did Plastic Free July in 2012, and I thought about starting a blog. I've never written a blog before, and I actually wrote a blog post about reducing plastic and then I wrote another blog post about reducing plastic and then I realized I didn't actually know anything about reducing plastic I don't really have anything to say and so I stopped that and I kind of just started making these changes so you know I started learning how to make bread or trying to make yogurt or figuring out ways to shop without plastic and kind of went and visited a recycling center and had this epiphany that actually all single-use stuff didn't really make any sense like buying stuff in a you know, metals that have been mined out of the ground and then throwing them away and paper and trees and glass and all of that stuff. Kind of seeing that made me realise it wasn't just about plastic, it was about everything. And I guess the more and more I started learning, the more I realised there must be other people that think like me. There must be other people who think that recycling is amazing and that they're a sustainability superhero because they filled their bin to the top. And I, I kind of wanted to say, you know, look, like, this is what's happening to our recycling. This is what happens at a recycling centre. This is what happens. This is how you can make changes. And I actually started in June because I signed up for Plastic July and it was June. And then I thought, well, I can't really wait until the 1st of July. So I kind of started in June. And then my blog, I started in March the following year. So that was about nine months later. But I lived by this time, so it was a different blog. So the plastic one kind of never, nothing ever came of that. So then I started treading my path just as a way of kind of talking about some of the things I'd learned and some of the other things because yeah like I said I felt like other people if other people knew what I knew then they'd want to do the same things that I was doing I guess that was my theory and yeah that was where it started. Wow and you have like really such a passion for sustainable behavior changes as well and 
you know, like you kind of said how your journey started, a lot of our crazy birds might already be on the sustainable journey or just starting out. So what would you say would be some advice that you can give them that they can have to actually affect others that might lead them into changing some of their behaviors for a more sustainable lifestyle? So it's interesting, like what I just said about the blog, actually, because, you know, when I started, I was like, oh, I want to tell people kind of information. But as a behavior change tool, actually telling people information generally isn't a great way to change behavior. And um, kind of since 2013, I've been lucky enough to work on a few behavior change projects and kind of, you know, got really interested in it. And I think what behavior change is about, really, it's about helping people do the things that they already want to do. So I think a lot of people on some level want to be like, not everyone. And the thing is, like the climate change deniers, you know, you're never going to convince someone who's absolutely categorically, no way, doesn't want to do it. They're not going to change. And some of us can spend a lot of time trying to convince them with facts and bombarding them with information. But actually what we need to do is there's all those people, they're all the, the people who are like super enthusiastic and they're already doing stuff. And then there's all the people who kind of want to do stuff, but they're just not sure where to start or they're just not sure how to do anything. They maybe don't have the tools. It's kind of helping those people. So it's helping people do things that they already want to do. So I think it's about not bombarding people with information. And sometimes it's about finding a common ground or a way to speak to people. So some, so say they're going to widen some roads where you live. And you might care about the trees. They're going to chop all these trees down to widen the roads. But maybe the neighbours don't particularly care about chopping the trees. But they might care about having more trucks on the road because their children walk down the street on the way home from school or those kind of things. So you can start kind of you know, because sustainability is much more than just the trees. So you can start having conversations with people if you can find, like, common interests. So one thing, you know, with Plastic Free July is a lot of people really care about the ocean. So they maybe haven't made the connection of litter, but other people really care about litter in the local parks and other people care about pollution. And, you know, it's, it's, there's lots of different points that we can come together. So I think it's helpful to try and think about what other people are interested in and try and connect because everything's interconnected, really. So try and find a way to find the issue you care about, how it's related to what they care about. And that's usually easier to do, you know, once you once you try. I think really behaviour change is about giving people the tools to take action and kind of removing the barriers. So I think when people talk about sustainable behaviour change, we often talk about things like being more sustainable. But being more sustainable isn't really a behaviour. It's kind of this abstract concept, you know. So... If you want to be more sustainable, it's like, what does that mean? Does that mean you recycle? Does that mean you compost? Does that mean you buy less stuff? Does that mean you shop secondhand, whatever it is? You know, so it's kind of drilling down into actions that people can take. And I guess that's what now I try and do on my blog, rather than just try and give people information, which Mm. generally doesn't inspire people to to take. People go, oh, my God, that's terrible. Or, oh, my God, that's amazing. Or, oh, wow. But they don't necessarily do anything. Is then to show people how to do stuff. Because people often care, but it's too hard. So if you can give people the tools, explain how you've done stuff, you know, show people maybe steps along the journey, they can kind of see themselves doing that and then they can start to take action. And I also think, you know, it's so important for people to not just preach the whole time and be like, oh, you have to, you have to do this, you know, this is going to save the planet. This is what you're doing is terrible because, people would kind of react negatively if you just keep on preaching, preaching, preaching. But I also feel, you know, if you actually show them by being an example of 
how easy it is to make these switches and that, you know, in the long term, it's actually going to be so much better for the environment, but also that financially people can save money by making their own bread, by having their own chickens and all of these things. It's like you said, it like it links to a bigger picture. So just by st- giving them these information and then showing them, I think it's such a great combination. And I feel that's exactly what, you know, you've been doing and I've been following you for some time. And it's amazing to see how you're not one of those preachy, preachy people, <laughs> but I can definitely by reading your blog and Crazy Birds, if you have not signed up yet, go and do it. I'm going to link that in the show notes as well. And just by reading that and trying to see how can I implement that in my life and then seeing like your Instagram and the stuff that you do and then seeing that in action, it really hits home and makes me want to make more changes as well. Yeah, I think probably if um, you met me in 2013, I was probably a bit more enthusiastic, overly, because sometimes people can, they don't mean to, and I'm sure I was guilty of this, I try not to be so much now, but you know, you're so enthusiastic about everything. And someone says, you know, oh, I went to the the bulk store and for the first time, and you're like, oh, you should also go to the farmer's (laughs) market and do this and do that and buy it, and then you just overwhelm people. And you don't mean to, but your your enthusiasm kind of gets away with you. So, you know, now I try and just talk about what I do and try not to put any kind of opinions on what other people should do because I don't know. You know, you never know other people's situations and what's easy for someone isn't necessarily easy for someone else. And it's kind of like planting the seeds and, you know, you plant the seeds and it could be that someone else, you know, plants some more seeds and someone else waters the seeds and then a few years later someone, something will click and someone will go, oh, I should do that. And they don't necessarily remember that it was you the first time. I think all of us have got friends where we feel like we've been banging on about this something for like years. Like, oh, this is great. And then suddenly they, they turn up and they're like, oh, I saw this, you know, I listened to a podcast or I saw this thing and I'm doing it now. And you're like, but I've been talking about that for years. <laughs> but people yeah. like to come, they like to come to their own conclusions about stuff. So I think we just have to, yeah, be an example and plant the seeds and people will find their own way especially if it's something they want to do. And I think if you make it easier, if people see things and they go, oh, she can do that and it looks easy, then, you know, then that's the next step. Definitely. And I mean, it's everyone's own journey. And I mean, my journey has been going for some years now. So I can't expect someone that just found out about, you know, Plastic Free July to be at the same point that I'm at that has took me years to get there. So that's something that's really, really important to understand and just be patient. Like, you know, if someone wants to know more, then you're kind of there for them to learn more. That also brings me to one of the things that you do, and that is an online course as well. So if there is people that feel like, I want to live with less waste and I want to try to create less waste, but I don't know how to do that, then you've got a great online course that I've been going through as well. It's just really amazing to see that stuff like that is available out there. So can you please tell us a little bit more about your course? I launched it last year. So I've been teaching workshops and courses and things in Perth since 2013. And that it just kind of came about originally by people saying, oh, would you like to talk about, you know, what you're doing with plastic? And then more people started asking. And then I had this opportunity to run some courses and kind of snowball from there. But 
The thing is, I'm in Perth, and Perth is the most isolated city in the world, as we like to say. And so, there's, you know, there's so many people who read my blog or are on social media who don't live in Perth. And, you know, people were saying, oh, could you put it online? And so it took me five years to get to doing it. But, yeah, and I guess the, the goal of the course is to take people through the steps that they need to think about and the things they need to do to reduce their waste. And like the kind of the goal of the course is for people to reduce their waste by 50% in 60 days. That's kind of the goal. And obviously 50% is different for everyone. Like if you're starting with a huge amount, if you're starting with not much, like, you know, 50% is going to look different for everyone. But we go through, so we start with a bin audit, which like it's one of my favorite things to do. And I love it when, um, so people share the bin audit, like the photos and stuff, but because people always think, you would always think that they're better at recycling than they are. And they always, you know, it's just kind of, a, we always think, because well, we want to be better, you know, mm. we want to believe that we're great at all these things. And so we do tend to think that we're better. And so people do these bin audits and they, they literally get everything, all the food scraps, all of the recycling, all of the landfill, and then they share it. And it's really, it's really great for a number of reasons. Because first of all, they're kind of like, oh, I didn't realize that I threw a whole loaf of bread away. Goodness, how did that happen? But then it's also, you know, they'll say, oh, I've got this thing and I've been putting it in the recycling. And someone else will come along and say, oh, did you know that you could actually recycle it this way? And so we've got this real community network where people can share their ideas about how they've done things and different resources. Because I can't, like recycling is so local. Like recycling is based on, you know, your local government, your infrastructure, where you live. So I can't tell anyone outside of Perth what exactly can go in their recycling bin but I can tell them where they can find the information you know and then other people have got ideas or they'll know like something I found out the other day and this is you know it's a tiny little thing but someone was asking on my local buy nothing group for old champagne corks and wine corks like the actual cork ones and I was like what does she want corks for and she worked at a nursing home and they have birds in cages at this nursing home and she wanted to make little toys for the birds so and she sent me these instagram pictures of the kind of thing and they string up all these corks on stringy things and then you know the birds like pick at them and it's all very fun and you know it's just a tiny little reuse thing but there's so many things like that that people are doing and you know organizations that are collecting things that you'd never think would be reusable or recyclable and it's kind of that when people come together and they share ideas that's kind of how we reduce our waste sorry got a bit distracted but (laughs) I guess with the course, we kind of go through, so we start with the bin audit and then we just go through all of the kind of, I guess, places where we might create waste in the home. So in the kitchen, dealing with food waste, dealing with the bathroom, thinking about cleaning and things like that. And it goes over eight weeks. So one module a week, but also people get access for a year because the thing about once a week is that everyone starts off enthusiastic and then about week four, because it's very hard to change all of those habits you can't really change all of your habits for one week, then all of your habits on a different topic for the second week. So the idea is that people can go back and, and people will want to revisit things. And people do, you know, they'll people email me six months later, oh, I'm just going back to this now that I'm ready, now that I'm in a position to set up a worm farm. Can you just clarify this thing or that thing or whatever? And so that's been really good as well, that it's got that kind of longevity because reducing your waste is not an eight-week journey. It's a, kind of like a lifetime journey, I think. Exactly. Oh, wow. Well, that's fantastic. And I mean, you've really done so much. And I've been following this journey about you removing your lawn and making space for something really cool and interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's going on in your backyard? Sure. So I moved house in October last year. I actually have a house with a garden. So kind of over my lifetime, when I lived in 
Bristol in England, I had a flat and had a little balcony garden and had an allotment. And then I moved to Perth and had some balcony gardens and had a community garden for a while, had a, a shared garden at the last place. And now I've got my own garden, which means I have control over what I can do and what I can plant and what I can pull out and all of this. So, yeah, so I've cleared a bit of space and got chickens, which you're very excited about, I see. Yeah, I am. <laughs> and I am too. Yes. I guess the idea is like, so Perth, Perth is like a giant sandpit. So trying to grow food in Perth is quite difficult because the soil isn't, the soil is terrible. Like it's officially one of the worst soils in the world. So it needs nutrients. And if you're just composting your food scraps, that's not enough nutrients. So the idea is having chickens, like they can eat some of the pests, control the weeds. You can like pull up weeds and feed them to chickens and they think you're great. It's brilliant. Um, and then they create manure and then that goes in the compost and it's kind of adding to, it's kind of trying to recycle nutrients within the system. And then I'm planting out fruit trees and vegetables and, you know, building myself a little resilient garden that can provide a bit of food and joy and all of those things. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Cause I mean, I've just now started with like the whole balcony garden and I am super excited to actually move in onto our new piece of land in the next few months and just like starting from scratch. And one of the things that I'm most excited about is getting chickens and seeing these chickens just like transform the garden and to be able just to see how this whole cycle works as well. So I'm super excited about that. Mm. And one thing that I really loved what you did is to actually adopt some chickens. So I'm going to try and find some that we can adopt if we can. I actually think because when COVID-19 came out, like a lot of people panic bought chickens, but that was a thing. So, oh, wow. Um, okay. So I know a few people who were thinking about getting chickens and all of the chicken places had sold out of chickens. But I do suspect in spring, there'll be a whole bunch of people with chickens that don't really want them that are probably trying to... Because you can rescue them, obviously, from factory, battery farms and that sort of thing. But you can also, you know, it's the same as kind of other pets. It's just that you don't, you can't really surrender a chicken to the dog pound because it's not a dog. But a lot of people do move house, they, you know, get married, get divorced, have children, change jobs, whatever it is. And so people do give away chickens it's, or, you know, yeah, pass them on. And I think probably in September, because there's been this big rush on people getting chickens, there might be a bit of a big exodus on people realising that they're, a bit more work than they thought. Yeah, and I mean, if you bought uh, chicks, it literally takes six months for them to even lay eggs if that was the reason why you were trying to get them in the first place. So, you know, it's not like you're going to have a little small chick and then two weeks down the line you're going to have a chicken that produces egg. And, you know, it is hard work. So let's see in a few months' time. Hopefully I can adopt some. But yeah, really keen on seeing how that goes. And what were some of the hardest challenges that you felt you had with these chickens, like setting up the coop and trying to like keep them alive? Yeah, I have to say, so I read like every chicken book that the library had and I got some more on interlibrary loans. Like I read every book I could read. I like to try, you know, I like to understand as much as possible what I'm doing before I step in. I'm not really a like fake it till you make it. I'm like, no, I need to have all the information. And then when I'm comfortable, the thing I think was hard, I've got a dog. And so then I rescued these four chickens. So I felt literally felt like my responsibility had gone from one to five. Like it was, and, and one of them makes these really strange noises. So one, one's kind of still a baby teenager. Two of them are grown and make normal chicken noises. And this other one makes noises like she's being slowly strangled. And <laughs> 
literally, I'd be in the office and I'd hear this noise and I'd be like, oh, my God, something's attacking the chicken. And I'd go outside and she's just fine. She's just chilling out. And then I'd come back in and then the noise would happen and I'd go back out. And so kind of learning all of that sort of stuff was kind of hard. Um, so one of the – so the same chicken, actually. She started laying soft-shelled eggs two weeks after I got her. Wow. So that's sometimes when they're not getting enough, like, shell grit or calcium. But it can be – if they break inside the chicken, it can be really dangerous because then the yolk can get infected and, you know, then they can die. And so I only had this chicken two weeks, and that was really stressful. And I've got a friend who knows – I think if, if you do get chickens, it's good to – connect with someone whether that's online or whether that's in person in person is better like in your you know in your neighborhood that knows about these things so you know my friend came around and she was like oh it looks all right but she was still walking still eating all of those kind of things and then she so she laid a few of these soft shell one a couple were soft shell then she started laying them without any shell Ooh. and now then she started molting and just stopped so i kind of think so chickens naturally molt once a year this kind of time of year they lose their feathers so i think maybe she was laying the soft shelled eggs because she was kind of trying to molt and still trying to lay eggs at the same time which you know really she needs to stop laying the eggs concentrate on making new feathers because you know making feathers and making eggs is quite a lot of work for a little bird but that was quite stressful. I guess, yeah, it's just, I guess for me, that they they are lives. And they've got such big personalities. You wouldn't believe it. Like, they're just so funny. And immediately, they've all got characteristics and personalities. And they feel part of the family. And then when they get sick, and not, you know, not knowing kind of how to deal with it, it's a bit stressful. But, yeah, they all seem to be having a nice time. So none of them are laying eggs at the moment. They're all molting. So there's like feathers everywhere. One of them has literally lost handfuls and she looks totally crazy and the oh, others have just sort of lost a few. But yeah, like it's been really fun. Wow, what an interesting journey. And I mean, you've been quite busy the last few months and one of the reasons is that you've got actually a new book coming out Hopefully by the time this episode is out, your book will be on the shelves and ready for people to purchase. Can you tell us a little bit more about the new book that's coming? So it's called The Less Waste, No Fuss Kitchen. Simple steps to shop, cook and eat sustainably. And what I wanted to do, like I feel there's a lot of books written about reducing food waste. There's a lot of books written about going plastic free. There's a lot of books written about carbon footprints, but I didn't feel there were any books that kind of dealt with all of them at once and you know at the start we were talking about this interconnected nature of things I feel like there's often a lot of confusion and kind of compromise around you know do I buy do I buy the thing that's locally grown but wrapped in plastic or do I buy the thing that's plastic free and imported from overseas or do I buy things in packaging but then and reduce my food waste or do I buy things loose but then throw away twice as much I think it's really hard sometimes to make those choices. And I felt like like I've read a few books about, about food waste and they always talk about packing everything in plastic. They always talk about shopping at the supermarket. They always talk about, there's always 50 chicken recipes. Like I don't, I'm a vegetarian, you know, don't eat meat. And I don't want a book full of chicken recipes and plastic and supermarket shopping because that's not how I think. And so I guess I kind of wanted to combine all of these zero waste ideas around reducing packaging, reducing food waste, reducing carbon footprints, but also without kind of going crazy or, you know, giving up your job and becoming a homesteader or, you know, any of those kind of things. So basically it's a way of navigating some of these choices 
kind of what, what they all mean, like, so what actually it means, why it's an issue, because sometimes we kind of know things are bad. Oh, yeah, I know that that's bad, but we don't know why. Like, well, why is it bad to send food waste to landfill? I don't know. It just is because it just is. I don't know. So, you know, explain all of that, but then talk about solutions. Like, one of the things, you know, that I'm really big on is kind of trying to give people actionable steps. So, it's not a, you've got to do everything. It's not a, you know, I'm going to beat you overhead with a baguette because you're not doing all of the things you should be doing. Like, I realized more and more that like, I really dislike the word should because like should, like you should, well, how do I know what you, you know, I, I have no idea about your you know, circumstance. I don't know where you live. I don't know the kinds of shops you've got access to, like how much energy you've got, whether you're disabled, whether you've got five children, all of these things. So I think, and I, I've, I also feel like there can be a lot of judgment in the sustainability. I felt like last year I was noticing it more and more. There was a lot of judgment in the sustainability space where someone would do something and it would almost not be good enough. Oh, but you didn't think about this thing. Oh, but there was that thing as well. Oh, but what about that? Oh, and it, it just feels exhausting. And then people, you know, because they're try- people have done something, they're like, oh, you know, tried to make a good choice here. And then when someone just critiques them, especially when it's, you know, someone you often haven't ever met on social media, kind of having an opinion about your life, like that's really hard. So I kind of wanted to move away from that and just say, look, actually pretty much everything we do has a footprint. That's just how it is. And and there isn't a perfect, I think sometimes you just want the perfect solution. What's the perfect solution? Well, the perfect solution would be growing everything in your back garden, every single thing you eat. And you'd need to compost all of your waste, like all of your waste, you know, not just the food scraps. And you'd have to be harvesting rainwater and saving seeds. And no no one actually, or very few people, live like that. So that's not practical. So let's forget about this idea of perfect. Like, it's just not a thing. And let's look about what's practical and what's actionable. And so the book kind of works through the three sections of, like, what you can do to reduce your plastic and packaging, what you can do to reduce your carbon footprint, and what you can do to reduce your food waste and there's going to be compromises along the way because it's very hard to do all three but it kind of just helps you think about which things you might be able to do and it feels better to do something than to do nothing and I think if we wait to be perfect nothing's ever going to change so yeah that's kind of the goal and then it's also just to get people thinking about spending a bit more time in their kitchen not in a chain yourself to the stove make everything from scratch forevermore you know but just like, I remember the first time I went to a golf and I'm like, what is bulgur wheat? What is Jafrika? <laughs> what on earth? What is amaranth? Like, how on earth do you cook quinoa? You know, like, we, you, you don't know. You go into the golf store and it's so different to the supermarket. Exactly. And, like, what's the difference between a black bean and a balotti bean? Like, apart from, I mean, I can see that they're different. But what, why are they different? And what on earth is red rice? And, you know, all those kind of things. So I kind of wanted to just talk about like how you actually get started, you know, thinking about your kitchen, maybe the tools that you use, and also kind of getting people just a bit more confident with using ingredients, with switching things out, with, you know, taking a recipe and going, oh, oh I don't have that, but I could do this. Or, oh, it says to remove the white part of the leek and only use that or stuff it. The green part's edible. I'm using that too. So, you know, just trying to combine all of these ideas and make things easy for people. So, yeah, that's the book. And it oh, comes wow. out here on Monday, which is the 1st of June. I say Monday, but by the time this comes out, it'll be last week or whatever. So, yeah. yeah. So on the 1st of June in Australia, 11th of June in the UK, 16th of June in the US. Oh, that's amazing. Well, congratulations on the book. I know there must have been a lot of hard work going into that. So I'm excited to actually read it. Yeah, so congratulations on that. So Crazy Birds, 
I'm going to link in the show notes as well to where you can actually go directly and purchase this. So you guys can just click and support Lindsay on her new book. Well done on that. Thank you. (laughs) So Lindsay, what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? So I was thinking about this because it's a bit of a hard question and I was thinking probably the biggest thing I think for me was deciding to do this work as a job. So, you know, when I started out, like I had a job and I was, you know, doing it in in the weekends or whatever and then I started getting these opportunities to do talks and do workshops and things and I kind of realised that I I just really wanted to spend all of my time doing this kind of stuff rather than working somewhere that, I didn't really believe in the work I was doing and I didn't really care about the outcomes and then being sustainable at the weekends. So I guess that was, and that's not to say that it was kind of an easy decision and it was obviously slow to kind of work, but I don't know, it just feels really good to be able to spend all of your time, all of your time. I guess there is a bit of a blurb between work-life balance when your work is your life and vice versa. But um, yeah, but it's just, I just really like the fact that I've got the time to dedicate to doing it and creating courses and running workshops and writing books and really being able to spread the message rather than it just being something that I do at my home life. Like I think just being able to share what I've been able to do and, and be, you know, and being given the opportunities to share and therefore connect with all these other people. And, you know, I think for me, that's probably the, the biggest decision to try and go down this path of actually, yeah. Well, that was a really great decision and I'm so glad you made that. (laughs) And now I'm going to move into our final five. So the first one is, what is one social media account or publication that you follow? Can I just, I I don't do short answers, so I'll try. (laughs) I'll try, but I don't have a short answer for this one. Because I was was thinking, it's not fair to choose one account. (laughs) So I was running through my head and I'm like, well, because some people, you know, I follow them and they've got really good gardening advice or some people are really sustainability or some people, like I kind of know them in real life and I know that they're like really great. But maybe their social media isn't the best for other people, you know, like or whatever. I was like, ah. Oh. And so what I decided, so I, I would say the social media account I use the most is Instagram. But the account I follow is on Twitter, uh, is Indigenous X. And that's, um, it was set up by a Indigenous man from the Melbourne area, I think, called Luke Pearson. And he created this Twitter platform. And he every single week he gives the account basically to a different Indigenous person, Indigenous Australian or Torres Strait Islander person from, you know, around all kinds of places, all kinds of experiences, and they get to kind of share their stories for the week. And I guess for me, like it's been really insightful. You know, there's only 2.8% of Australia is Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people. So to be able to hear all of these different voices and have this kind of platform, like so we can actually understand kind of what, what they think and what they need and what they want. Because, you know, Indigenous indigenous peoples are the ones that have looked after the lands for centuries, you know, not just in Australia, but everywhere. And we can't, we've got so much to learn from these people about being sustainable. And, yeah, that's probably the account that I think I've learned the most. Oh, cool. From. Well, we'll definitely check that out. And what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? When you think about the bigger picture sometimes, it can be overwhelming. What keeps me positive is thinking about my local community and how I can make my local community more resilient and more cohesive. And because I can't control some of these big 
politicians and you know i'd love for all of the mining companies to suddenly become ethical and i'd love for some of these politicians to get a conscience and all of these things but the reality is what i can change is my local community and so i guess my hope is that my community becomes kind of more resilient and more cohesive and can kind of cope with some of these challenges that we're going to be facing in the future better and what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out mama earth i think what the best thing to do is is to think about all of those ideas that you've got in your head you've got all these ideas in your head oh i need to do that oh i want to do that oh i've been thinking about doing that for a while just pick one and just take a step you know now is the opportunity this is the sign you've been looking for you know to actually do something because i think you know, people get overwhelmed with change because it sounds so big, but really it's just a lot of tiny little changes added together. So when I decided to dig up my grass, like I've got all this lawn front and back and it's a huge job. And sometimes I look at it and I'm like, it's so overwhelming. But if I just go out there and dig out one square, then I'm one square further, you know? So whatever it is that you've been thinking, I really want to do that. I really need to do that. Just take one step towards achieving it, whatever that is. Do it today. Awesome. Well, some great advice there. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? Okay, so I cheated and I've got two <laughs> because I can't do anything short. <laughs> so one of the ones that I really like recently that I've been talking about is about it's about food waste. And I think it's probably, I'm sure it will be true about other things, but the U.S. Natural Resources Defense Council found that 76% of people surveyed thought that they were better than average when it comes to wasting food. So the thing about averages is there's no way 76 people, 76% of people can be better than average. Only 50% of people can be better than average. And I always do this like whenever I do talks about food waste. I always say to people, who thinks they're pretty good at not wasting food? And everyone, not everyone, but most people put their hands up because we all like to think that we're pretty good at not wasting food. And so it's kind of interesting to go, actually, you're not as good as you think you are kind of thing. And obviously some of those people who put in their hands up will be great. But yeah, I think it's interesting because we do like to overestimate how much, how effective we are. You know, I like to think that I don't waste food. And one of the slides I actually use, I've got this butternut squash that I found in my fridge I found it in my fridge. I knew it was in my fridge. You know, it wasn't like it, it disappeared. And it had four different types of mold. You know, I had pink mold and white mold and green mold and I think this other. And like, I didn't even know you could get that many types of mold on a pumpkin. Wow. And it's just really, it's embarrassing because, you know, I'm someone who doesn't waste food. And yet here we are with this pumpkin. And so I kind of use this as an example of we all, we all waste things. We'll do, we're not as good as we think we are. And um, there's always ways that we can just tweak our habits and improve and, you know, make mistakes, but just do something better next time so that's the, the first one and then the other one I guess for me you know realizing that recycling was not this amazing get out of jail free card you put it in your bin and it goes away and it's all magically disappearing like that was m one of my biggest realizations so I, I really like the quote that only 10% of all plastic ever made has ever been recycled and only 10% of that 10% has ever been recycled more than once Wow. Because, you know, I guess um, technically it's actually 9% of all plastics that have been recycled, but for the purposes of, I prefer to say 10%, 10%. Anyway, because I, I think we do think that, well, I, I know, I remember when I'd buy things and I'd look at the packaging and I'd be like, oh, it's okay, it's recyclable. And then I'd buy it. And I just didn't really think about what that meant and how many resources it used and like whether, you know, this that thing about theoretically recyclable is not the same as actually recycled. And it's very easy for someone in the marketing department of a manufacturer, you know, make manufacturing food to just put, please recycle, 
recyclable yeah. on the label. It doesn't mean just because someone's printed it doesn't mean that it is. If you haven't got the infrastructure, it won't be recycled. And so I kind of think I always use that as an example of, you know, we think recycling is amazing and it's definitely better than not recycling, but there's this massive gap between the stuff we're producing and the stuff we're recycling and we've got to do something about it. Exactly. And I feel, you know, if someone has ever visited a recycling facility, and I mean, this varies also from city to city and even from and country should. to country. Everyone should visit. It's amazing. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, when we were there, I was in Dubai. I went to a place and one of my friends, she was just like, this is where our plastic bags come to die. And you could just like smell that smell. It was terrible. They couldn't recycle a lot of that because there was just so much food waste in these plastic bags. And it like, I was just like grossed out and I was just like, hell no, I I do recycle, but I'm going to try to make a point to buy stuff in a way that it can actually be reused and it does not have to go to recycling because, you know, there's so much resources, first of all, to actually make these products and then to recycle it, you know, it just feels like, you know, you could just make a kind of better choice from the start and you can just skip those steps. So I would also highly recommend anyone try to go and visit a recycling facility and let me know how you feel afterwards. Yeah, yeah, I would I would second that. Like that was the thing that got me from worrying about plastic to thinking about waste as a whole and kind of just realising. Because recycling places generally, they're stinky, they're oh, dirty. Yeah. They're not like you think, they're not like the posters that the council tell you when they're like, put things in the recycling. Like they're, they're kind of grim, really. Everyone, visit a recycling facility. <laughs> exactly. And so, Lindsay, where can people actually find you? So my website is treadingmyownpath.com and I usually write a blog post about once a week, usually on a Thursday, and I send out a monthly-ish kind of newsletter. When I have events, I tell people when they are, but obviously at the moment there's not too much of that. And then I'm on the social medias, so Facebook, Treading My Own Path, Instagram, Treading My Own Path, Twitter, Tread My Own Path, and Pinterest, I think that's Treading My Own Path as well. But um, Instagram and my blog are probably the two places that I hang out the most. Oh, cool. Well, we're definitely going to link that all up in the show notes. So thank you so much for all the amazing work that you guys, oh, well, that you are doing (laughs) and everything that is just so inspiring and, you know, keep up the amazing good fight that you are. And I'm super excited to see and continue seeing your journey and really excited about the book that's coming out. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you. You're most welcome. And that's a wrap. Huge thank you for our amazing guest for being on the podcast and for sharing their journey with us. You can find the show notes of this episode on the mamaearthtalk.com's website. The biggest thank you goes out to all of you crazy birds for listening to the podcast. If you have not already listened to all of the episodes, you can go back to a few of them. You will absolutely love them. I really enjoyed recording every single one of them. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to them. There's over a hundred episodes. So if you feel a little bit lost on which one to listen to next, maybe select one of the episodes with guests that you might want to know more of and start from there. If you enjoy the episodes, why not tell a friend about the podcast and maybe share an episode with them? 
let them know that we are here and we are waiting for them with open arms and they are all very welcome to join the crazy birds globally. If you have a question for me, please send them over. The best place would probably be a DM on Instagram at Design by Mariska or pop me an email at hello at mamaearthtalk.com. If there's a particular guest or topic that you would like to hear on the podcast, let me know. I love to hear from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every second Monday. So make sure to subscribe that you do not miss a thing. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.